0: I read from a friend uh, this week, a good friend that's a pastor over in Athens. He said, make sure that when you stand up to preach, that you take the time to stop and thank people for being here. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for gathering together, uh, giving your time to hear from God's word and us gathering together to sing his praises. And so thank you for for taking the time out to be here this morning. We're thrilled that you're here with us. And so. Uh, Let's pray before we begin, and then we're going to jump into that passage in Luke that we just talked about just a minute ago. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for this beautiful uh, day. We thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you that we have much to celebrate, much to be thankful for, uh, uh, above all, for you and what you've done for us in Jesus, and so we do thank you for that. We pray this morning that as we open your word that you would lead and guide and teach us. We Uh, We just confess we can't do this without you. And so we ask that your spirit would move in this place and that you would teach us and that you would guide us and that you would show us. And uh, I pray this morning that you would help us just to see uh, our reliance on you and how much we need you in all things. And uh, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, As we begin this morning, I want you just to think. uh, uh, different people that you've maybe had in your life at different times that uh, can can come across as, as somewhat prideful. Uh, I would say it may be a, an over inflated sense of self. Uh, they like to, to speak first and not listen. And I want to tell you and get ahead of things and all those kind of things that, that go with that. Uh, the truth is, when we stop and think about it, it's much easier to recognize that in other people. Uh, It's very easy to see it in other people. Maybe you don't have anyone that comes directly to mind when you think of it. Uh, But if you want to see that kind of played out, probably one of the best places I've seen that at different times is if you turn on uh, an award show, like uh, the Oscars or or the Grammys, like for music. Uh, What you see is we live in a culture of celebrity and we put people on a pedestal. And then when you get them all together and then they get to celebrate each other. It can almost become a little bit overbearing sometimes when you see that. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of a, the last couple of years. Uh, at different times, I've watched parts of the Grammys, and I've realized that I'm getting old because it's like I don't know half of the people that are on there anymore. But one of the things that I've noticed the last few years, and this has happened a couple of different times, there's one artist in particular, and if you don't know who he is, that's okay. He's one of the most popular recording artists today. His name's Kanye West. And Kanye West is, a, to put it politely, very outspoken. Uh, He will tell you what he thinks about anything, whether you asked or not. And uh, one of the things that's happened the last uh, few years in the Grammys is one year, uh, somebody got an award that he disagreed with, and he got up and stood up in front of them and let everybody know that he disagreed with them giving the award as the person standing there. And so it's like, whoa, what in the world? And then this last year, he did something very similar. He didn't interrupt the ceremony, but as soon as it uh, it was over, he made sure to tell everybody that they had gotten it wrong and they weren't honoring the right people and what that looks like. And so you hear him say this, and it's kind of overwhelming how outspoken he is, that he thinks so highly of himself that he'll tell everyone else they're wrong and that he'll, And something is subjective of, of musical achievement and different things like that. And so you see this just kind of overwhelming in him at different times. And so I start with that idea, just giving you that picture of what it looks like sometimes When we have an overinflated sense of self. And you see that real clearly displayed even in that award show as he interrupts and tells people what he thinks. And I start there because I want us to think about that this morning because the truth is, every single one of us has that at different times in our life. And what I want us to think about this week is when we do, it is one of the greatest hindrances to prayer in our life. We think too highly of ourselves. We often think that we can do this on our own. And so what I want us to think about is how that keeps us from praying as we should. Uh, This week we're ending what has been, which this will be the ninth week that we've talked about prayer. We've been talking about prayer uh, for a good while now and coming back and looking at that and thinking about it. And this morning as we think about it... uh, Part of what we talked about the very first week, if you were here with us, if you were, you probably don't remember the very first week that we talked about this. But one of the things we said is it is so hard in our culture, in our society uh, to pray these days because of how distracted and how busy we are in so many ways. Uh, we see that through technology uh, every Uh, We walk around with phones in our pockets where we can text and we can email and we're constantly uh, in contact. We're never out of reach of people or business or whatever's going on in our life. And so it's hard to find time to get alone and to seek God and to pray. But the truth is the technology we have and where we are in our world is not the, the heart issue that's at play. It brings it out. It certainly makes it harder at different times, but it's not the actual issue. And what I want us to think about and look at this morning is what uh, Luke's gospel tells us in Luke chapter 10. We see uh, this display, this problem we have of thinking that we're so important that we can't stop and pray. And I want us to just take some time and work through that and and see that what we talk about when we're so busy and we don't have that time and we continue uh, to put that on the back burner. It's not a modern problem at all. In fact, we're going to see very clearly with a woman named Martha that she had a very similar problem. And so the way I want us to think about this this morning as we talk about prayer and the things that keep us from that is I want us to look at this this picture that we see in Luke chapter 10 at the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11 that we read just a minute ago. And I just want to remind you as we look at this that the idea of chapters in verses in our Bible is something that we came up with after the fact to help us for good reason, to help us be able to find passages, talk about them, point to them in different ways and different things. But when God inspired Luke to write his gospel, he took all these different stories and he put them together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us. And so when we look at the end of chapter 10 in the beginning of chapter 11, it all goes together. It's not like this is one story and it ends and it stands alone and then we move to another story. They go together. And so I want us to think about this this morning. And this is the way I want us to look at these. These really what we would normally think of as two passages together. And this is the questions I want us to ask. First, what's the problem as we see it here? And we're going to see that kind of in, in Martha. She's the one we're going to see it. in. so the problem that we see, the answer that Jesus tells us. And then lastly, what does it look like when it's lived out what Jesus tells us? And so the problem and then the answer and then what it looks like to to live this out. And so as we look at the end of Luke chapter 10, this is a fairly familiar story. You may have heard this at different times. Mary and Martha pop up a lot in the Gospels. But just look at verse 38 with me as we begin. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed her into his house, her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And so I want you just to see this picture here before we even jump into exactly what's going on. Just the difference between these two sisters. Mary and Martha are two sisters that are very close to Jesus. We see them come up at different times in the gospel frequently. Uh, We kind of get them fleshed out a little bit on what they're like and their personalities. And we see two women that are very, very different. And you can see that just in the few verses that I just read, the three verses that are there. You have Martha, who's really, really busy. She's going about. She's serving. She's the hostess here. She's got all these things going and she's doing. And then it says you have her sister, uh, Mary. And she's sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to him. Right. Verse thirty nine. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And so you see a pretty stark contrast between two sisters. Uh, any of you that's had more than one child in your life, you can see that in your own children, how drastically different your own kids can be. And you see that here in Mary and Martha and how different they vary, very much they are. We see Mary being more kind of serene and contemplative, and she's sitting there and listening. And Martha's really, really busy. Now, when we see Martha at other times in the Gospels, we see this played out in her personality, in the way she operates, in the way she does things. Uh, Probably the most clear picture I could tell you is in John chapter 11. If you know that story in John 11, it's when Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. They were very close to Jesus. If you know the story, they send word that Lazarus is really sick. Jesus purposely delays... Lazarus dies and then he goes and shows up. And if you remember that story, we see how different Mary and Martha are as as Jesus shows up, right? Because it says he comes, he's coming into town and they send word ahead that Jesus is here and they run and tell him. And Martha comes flying out. Mary stays behind. you're already seeing it. Martha shows up. And the first thing she says to Jesus is if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Right? And so she kind of, That's the way she is. She goes out and almost scolding Jesus. You should have got here sooner. And if you would have, things would have been okay. And so Jesus responds uh, to Martha. Well, he's going to rise again. That's what he says about Lazarus. And so Martha jumps all over that and goes ahead. You're right. He is going to rise again on the last day. I know that. Right. Like so you you see it already. She's kind of scolding Jesus and then she's correcting him right now. She doesn't know what she's talking about because Jesus is saying he's going to rise right now. I'm going to go over and say, Lazarus, get up, and you're going to see something you've never seen. But she takes it and goes a whole nother way. And then the very next thing, the interaction between the two, Jesus says for them to remove the stone. Right? He's going to call Lazarus out, and he says, move the stone. And Martha jumps in again. No, 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 don't do that. It's going to stink. He's been dead for three days. Right? And so you see this, this picture of Martha that emerges. She's very outspoken. She tells you what she thinks. She's correcting Jesus. Right, Three times, she's basically telling them. It's like I read it, and I go, man, she's kind of like Kanye West, a little bit, right? I mean, that's what I was thinking. Is Here, she just says exactly what she thinks, and she goes ahead, and she just jumps out there, and she says that. Yeah, you pro- I, I was thinking, not purposely, but I don't know that anyone's ever made the comparison of Martha to Kanye West. And so... <laughs> And I don't know that it's really that valid, but it came to my mind that that's that was what's happening. But so you see her just out there kind of telling what she thinks, pushing ahead. She's busy, busy. Go, go. Tell you. And and what I read this week is one commentator said, in a lot of ways, Martha is our cultural ideal today, whereas Mary is the cultural ideal of Jesus's day. You can kind of see that. Can you not? Today we, we, we push. Yes, we want to be outspoken tell people, push ahead, I go and I do and I do. I would imagine that if Martha lived today that she'd have a blog and she would tell everybody what she thinks about everything, whether you care or not, and just on and on and on. And so just that picture of what you see of, of those there. And so, but you see the difference between the two. But then look at what happens when she responds to Jesus. Right? See the picture that's there. That, that Martha comes and she says to Jesus, won't you tell my sister, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Right. Tell her to do this, to get on this. And so you can see what she's expecting of Jesus as she goes to him. Right. Martha's outspoken. She knows what she thinks. She's expecting Jesus to turn to Mary and go, hey, you need to help your sister. Is she not? Because she just told him, tell her to get up and help me. But what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I love that Jesus says, Martha, Martha, that's a term of endearment. It's a very uh, intimate way to address her. It's his dear friend, Martha, Martha. And he doesn't say, no, I'm not going to tell her to get up. He says, you're troubled and anxious about many things. And you see this picture of Martha that her whole life is hinging on how uh, productive she are, how productive she is, how much she's getting done and the things she's doing. And you see what that's the toll that's taking on her, right? She's irritable. She's kind of frustrated. She's uh, it seems to be that she has a somewhat strained relationship with her sister. She's really frustrated that her sister's sitting there instead of helping. And so you see all these things kind of be played out with Martha, And she's so busy, she can't stop. And I need help. And I need you to get on this. And she tells Jesus, I need you to tell her to help me. Right. And so I see this picture of Martha. She's got all these things to do and not enough time to do them. And she can't stop. And she's going and she's begging Jesus, get some people to help me. And so I just ask the question, do you relate to Martha at all? Do you ever feel that way? God, help me. I've got a lot to do and I need people to get on this and help me do this. Or do you pray that way? Jesus, I need you to do this, this and this right now. Right. Tell her to get my sister over here and help me. And so you see this picture to which Jesus just kind of stops her. He corrects her. He goes, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. That's a rebuke, a very gracious and kind way of saying it. And I say that because Jesus says a lot about anxiety and it's not good, right? He's never encourages us in our anxiety, right? He actually says the opposite. Matthew six. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body, more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Right? Jesus is pretty straightforward on anxiety. You're not trusting him. We're trying to control everything in our life. That's exactly what he says to Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And so he just gently rebukes her. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles, oftentimes he's talking about non-believers. That's just the picture there that he's talking about as he says that. And so we, we seek after these things. And I read that list and the way he talks about that, that we become anxious about all these things. And I go, Man, that sounds a lot like Martha. Sounds a a lot like me. Sounds a lot like our culture. Maybe sounds a little bit like you, if you're honest with it at different times, that we become so anxious about all these things that we have to do and we have to get done and I have to be about. And then the very last thing he says in Matthew six and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What is Jesus' answer? What's he saying to Martha when he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many, many things, but one thing is necessary. It's the same thing he's been telling us over and over. It's the same thing we've been looking at as he's teaching us to pray. When we see it, we see that over and over. It's no uh, mistake that you have this interaction. And then the very next thing it talks about, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, his disciples asked him to teach them to pray, to which we get Luke's version, Luke's recording of the Lord's Prayer that we've been looking at for the last six weeks. The very first thing, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And you start to see that picture and how those go together. Jesus teaches us, hallow his name first, seek first his kingdom. It's the same thing as he says here is the answer to our anxiousness. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be taken care of. Seek me first. And so the picture that starts to emerge is our anxiety and these things, all these negative things that come from being so busy trying to control it all ourselves. I'm going to do and do and do and go and go and go. Right? What does Paul say in Philippians four about our anxiety Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Give your problems that you're struggling with. Start with God and give them to him first. And so the picture that I see when we talk about our problem that we have is we see here in Martha is we are so busy. We don't stop. I've got all these things that I've got to do and I've got to get done and I've got to Be about. And Jesus is going, just slow down a little. And he starts to give us the answer of what that looks like and what he tells us. Here you see Martha coming unraveled because she's so busy, because she can't stop. She's not stopping and seeking his kingdom. She's so busy doing all these other things. And so in the midst of all this, when we start to look at the answer that Jesus says to her, you are troubled about many things But one thing is necessary. And then you look at the way God's inspired this this uh, gospel and the way it unfolds. And we immediately go to Jesus teaching us how to pray. And I look at that picture and go, man, in the midst of my busyness, my trying to control everything, my trying to make sure there's enough hours in the day for me to control so everything doesn't fall apart. And there's Jesus saying, just stop and seek me. The answer to my over-busyness is to stop and seek God in the midst of that. It is so the opposite of the way we think. The, The way that you reorder your life when you've got so much to do is stop doing anything and talk to God. Oh, well, can I just do it while I'm driving? Right? I'm on my way to my meeting. I'll just do it as I drive. That's the way we often think. Right? Or I'll do it as I'm walking into the next thing. That's the way we often think. Instead of stopping and seeking him. And so I want us to think about what's the problem underneath our problem. And what I mean by that is what is the heart issue that's at play? Jesus is always concerned about what's going on in our heart. Not just what we actually do, but what's behind. What's the motivations behind? In fact, he corrects us often on things that we're doing that look good, but the heart issue is all wrong. And so what's the problem underneath the problem? The heart issue of our Martha-ness, right? We're all like Martha in a lot of ways. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to do this. And so what's the problem underneath that? And I think part of the problem that's there is we have this thinking that we have an ability to control things with ourselves at the center. If I stop, it's all going to fall apart. You ever feel that way? I have to keep doing this because if I don't, everything's going to crumble around me. We overestimate our own what we're how we're holding things together. But we also underestimate our own value. I want you to think about those two together that leads to this and how prayer helps to answer that problem that we have. See, when we see ourselves at the center, we, we, we operate with I have to do this. And this, and this, and this, and we become so busy, we fall into this trap of self-reliance. It's all about me and what I do, and I've got to hold all these things together, which plays right into the sinfulness of our own heart, does it not? Right? We, we, we operate that way because in our sinfulness, we've exchanged the truth of God for creation. We've made ourself the center instead of God the center. And so when I operate that way, I'm just falling right into that. It's all about me and what I do, and I've got to get these things done. And we start to put ourselves at the center instead of God at the center. And so it becomes so hard for us to stop in the midst of that because in the sinfulness of our heart we have it backwards that we have a do to be mentality. Don't you think about that, do to what I do makes me who I am. I'm really busy. And I'm really important, and I go to lots of meetings, and I do lots of things, and lots of people need me, so therefore I'm important. That's, that's the way we often function. That's the way our heart functions a lot of times. Friends, I'm going to tell you as clearly as I can, that's the exact opposite of the gospel we proclaim. We are saved by what Jesus does for us. And he says, I love you completely and totally, and it's all what I've done, my righteousness given for you. It's a gift. You are my beloved child, and I love you completely and totally. And now you get to live out of the fact that I love you completely and totally. We do it the opposite. I'm so busy, I can't stop. I have to do these things, I have to do these things, I have to do these things, so that I'm accepted. And Jesus is going, No, you don't. I've already done it all. And I already love you completely and totally. But we fall into that I'm valuable because. And it's almost always the things we do. Almost always. Even as a believer, we can so easily slip back into that type of thinking over and over. I do this and so therefore I'm, I'm valuable. And so we get that value in our life from the opposite of what the gospel teaches us. We get this do-to-be mentality. And so I just thought, do you ever struggle with that? Are you up and down? I, I did really good today and I was really busy and I was really productive. So God really loves me and is pleased with me today. Oh, how that must break his heart. Put it in terms with your own children. What if one of my kids came to me and said, hey, dad, I got an A on my test and I scored two goals in my soccer game and I cleaned up my room. Now, do you really love me? What do you mean, buddy? I love you no matter what. But that's the way we treat God. That's our do to be mentality. We, we think that way and we struggle with that. And it makes it hard for us to stop and seek God in the midst of all our doing. I think that's what's going on with Martha. Here's Mary sitting there soaking up everywhere. Jesus is saying and Martha can't stop. Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. Got to get these things done. I wonder what's the bottom of Martha's heart. If she stops, everybody look at her and go, oh, she's a terrible hostess. We ran out of food. What's wrong with Martha? Getting your identity by what you do. What's underneath those things that you see there? And so Jesus just says... Uh, uh, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. He's pointing her back. He's recentering her here. Stop. You need one thing. It's a picture of what God does. He starts us. Think about the way he created the world. Think about the way we were made in the very beginning. God created the heavens and the earth and he set up everything. And on the sixth day, he created man. The one thing made in his image after his likeness to rule over, have dominion of the earth, to be uh, his uh, image bears on his earth, to glorify him. And he makes us. And then the very next thing, what does he do? OK, now you're going to rest. What? Hey, I just made all this stuff and now I'm going to send you out. But I want you to start from rest. It's the opposite of the way we normally think. The same thing that we have struggle in taking a Sabbath and actually resting is the same reason we don't stop and pray. I got too much going on. It all fall apart if I'm not doing it. And Jesus goes, "Whoa, slow down." And so the picture, the answer, he starts to show us. We have it backwards. We're getting our worth from what we do versus what he's done. Instead of starting from a place of rest of who we are in Jesus and then living out of that, we make it all about what I'm going to do. And we struggle with that over and over. And so how does prayer help to stop and reorder us? It's so important in everything that we do that we're talking to the father. You stop and you talk to him as his beloved child who's accepted completely and totally. So we pray in Jesus' name because of what Jesus has done and we start from that place and then we live out of that reality. It's the exact opposite of the way we normally do it. And so Jesus kind of stops us. Right Here's Martha, can't stop. Might be a bad hostess. And then you think, well, is that the way God sees her? Right? Was Jesus sitting there going, man, if Martha stops... If she stops serving, I'm going to love her a little less. Right. I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds absurd. You go, well, no, that's not what those. But that's the way we often operate. And so Jesus just pointing her to that. And so when we stop that way, think of the example that Jesus gives in Matthew six. You're anxious and all these things. And so he points us to the birds. He says, look at the birds. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. They know I will care for them, but you make it like you. if you stop, it'll all fall apart." He says, "If I care about them, how much more do I care about you? And so oftentimes we do this, and so we stop and we begin to seek God, we begin to pray, we become to start with Him. I find this to be true, and I forget it all the time. I'm not some perfect example. Every week, things get really busy and the week. And so prayer can become less time or real quick, or ah, I've only got a few minutes today. The busiest days when things are really crushing in and struggling and all those things, if I stop and pray, it's like a weight's been lifted. Always. And every time God's faithful, and every time He shows up, and every time He reminds me of those things and corrects my bad thinking that I'm the sinner. He does that, and then the next day it's like, oh, I'm too busy to pray. It's ridiculous, but we do that all the time. We get into that do-to-be. I've got to do all these things out of working from rest in him. And so the picture that Jesus offers us is he tells her there's many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And then it goes straight into teaching us about how to pray. I'm not going to go back over the Lord's Prayer because we spent like six weeks on that. But it's there in Luke and his version. But then Jesus says some other things here that I want us just to end with on how do we pray? What does it look like when we actually stop in the midst of this and then how do we pray? And so look at what he says starting in verse 5. And he tells this story. Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. And so Jesus tells a story of going and knocking on your friend's door in the middle of the night, late at night, because you need some bread. Right. You have unexpected house guests and you've got nothing to feed them. And so you go beat on your friend's door and it says they're already asleep or they're already getting in bed. "Ah, I can't bother with you right now. And he says, but what They, they answer, because you keep knocking. This, that's the picture here. Is that not the story? He keeps saying you keep knocking and you keep asking and you keep coming after. And finally, your friend will go, OK, fine. Take the bread and leave me alone. I'm trying to go to sleep. Right. I mean, that's the picture that's there. And so he tells this story of this. But then he says to us, I tell you, or verse nine, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives and the one who seeks, finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so Jesus teaching us to pray tells us that we come specifically and we ask for things and then we keep asking. And we keep coming and we keep seeking and we keep knocking and we keep coming and and pleading before him over and over and over. Now put this in the right context. That's why reading scripture in context is so important. People will say, well, Jesus says you ask whatever and he's going to give it to you if you just ask him enough. Well, the context is he's just told you, you you pray that the father's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom will come. He kind of gives you the picture. He he, kind of puts the parameters of making it about him and his glory. And then you ask big and specifically for things he's going to do. And you continue to seek him and you be persistent and asking and seeking and you keep doing that over and over. And I want you to think about what happens when we pray that way. It puts us in a place of being dependent to see him move for things to happen. Instead of being all about me and what I do and I'm so busy, I don't have time to stop and ask him. He says, no, 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 you stop and you ask me and you keep asking me and you keep seeking and you keep knocking and you keep asking. And then he says this incredible thing right in there. He says, "And the one who knocks, it will be opened. He says that twice in verse nine and verse 10. It will be open to you. And it will be open. And the connotation there is there's going to be things far bigger than you ever can imagine. And you keep asking and you keep seeking and it keeps us dependent on him. It keeps us in this kingdom focus as we ask and we pray expectantly and boldly. And it keeps us from making it all about me and what I'm going to do. I mean, think of how absurd that is. I put my head down and I'm going to do all these things in my power versus I'm going to stop and seek God in his power, which is going to end up better. But yet we go, I don't have time for this. And so he tells us to seek him and to continue. And so you ask boldly, persistently, specifically. He teaches us to pray, to ask for our daily bread, ask specifically for different things. Now, that doesn't mean ask specifically for the the new car you want with these options and those kind of things. But ask specifically for people in your life that you want to see come to faith. Ask specifically for new places that you want to see churches planted. Ask specifically for different parts of the world where they haven't heard the gospel before for it to break through and to go. And continue to ask them. And continue to go boldly asking Him. But then the second part of that is we're also to pray humbly. Think about the Lord's Prayer when He tells us that, that we pray that your will would be done. Because we have a perfect Heavenly Father, that we are accepted completely because of what Jesus has done for us. We can rest in that because He loves us fully and completely. He is our perfect Father that knows everything we need. We can ask boldly, but we also can ask humbly, knowing that he's always going to answer our prayers what's best. And so you can ask huge. Right. Go big. Ask him for the things he's going to do, but know that some of those answers aren't going to be exactly the way that you saw them, And that's okay because God sees all of it. And so you can ask boldly, but also with great humility, knowing that he's in control of all those things. Sometimes he's going to tell you, no, that's okay. I think of all the times each day in a day that I tell my children, no, right. Can I have candy for breakfast? No. Can we buy this? No. Can we do that? No. You know, it's over and over, but it's because it's what's best for them. And so I'm going to keep asking God and there's times he's going to say no, but I'm going to be trusting that when he says no, it's for my best that he, he knows better, that he sees the full picture, and he goes, oh, that's, that's not it. I think oftentimes I ask, and he's going, oh, you're asking for this little thing, and I'm going to do this. Get bigger. <laughs> It'll be opened when we're seeking his kingdom and his glory. And so the picture here is we end on this thought just of prayer. We spent several weeks on this, and I didn't go back to the Lord's Prayer because we spent so long on that. But I can't say this any more simply than this everything that we want to see is a body of christ seeing god's glory seeing his name be made and held up high his glory spread we can't do it on our own and when we get into this mindset that i'm too busy to stop and to pray it doesn't make any sense And so if we want to see God move and see things beyond our imagination, we're going to be a praying people. You can look out through history and every time there's a great movement of God and it is preceded by people just on their face, praying. God move, we can't do this. And So it's what Jesus tells us. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And so I pray that that would be us. We'd be the people that are on our face, praying, seeking him always in all things. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you love us beyond our comprehension. That you want to use us in ways that we can't even fathom. I pray that you would help each one of us to slow down and to seek you first. To make you the center of all that we're doing and all that we are, and let that define our reality in all ways and in all things. And I pray as we do and as we seek you and as we ask that you would open up things so far beyond our imagination for your glory and for your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.